This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Are you listening? Damn. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, who's a little more well-rested than me. Uh, yes. About, what, 48 hours removed from kickoff of Oregon State at Stanford. It has been a long and mostly sleepless two days since then for me. So we are going to see if I can power through this episode. I am going to give it my best shot, but the sleep deprivation already kicked in. Forgot to uh, forgot to send Angie the link to the show and the rundown. And so she texted me about a minute before we hit record and said, you sending the link? So it, it could be one of those episodes today. But hey, Angie, that's I'll, not I'll like you, Carter. With you. What's, your, uh, what's your mental state like two days removed from Oregon State's miraculous win at Stanford? What, what a game. I mean, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to actually be super honest because I actually had to watch the last play later because I fell asleep. So yeah, <laughs> my, my sleep self day. over here is like, yes. really? <laughs> yes. So I actually had a travel day that day, Carter, and I was up at three 30 in the morning on Saturday. So it was, yeah. And can you blame me? That game started off so, so bad. Yeah. I mean, that's, Fair enough. And game ended just minutes before midnight um, in, in Palo Alto, that in Pacific time, at least. I, I would imagine very few people on the East Coast were, were watching the end of that. I, I saw um, Evanson Bernard tweeted that he finally turned it off at 2.45 a.m., yeah. which that's it's kind of crazy because we were actually our family was supposed to be in Fort Myers, Florida this week. So we were going to be staying up till 2.45 watching the game. But Hurricane had different plans for us. A very late night, I, I finished up work and closed my laptop just before 4 a.m. and then got up about three, two and a half, three hours later uh, to head to the San Jose airport and fly back up to Oregon. So, yeah, it's it's been a long couple of days. I just made the, the three-hour round-trip commute down to Corvallis for today's press conference. It's been a long one, but again, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna push through that, and and today we're gonna recap that win down on the farm 
a 28-27 result for Oregon State that, of course, if, if you watched it, if you've been anywhere on social media recently, and if, if you're an Oregon State fan, I'm sure you are aware of how that game ended with a 56-yard touchdown from Treshawn Harrison that I think will live on as one of the more memorable plays in Oregon State football history. Yeah, that was amazing. And for him to grab that kind of over-the-shoulder, um, huge play. And I, I think being that I've watched a lot of Oregon State football, what I'm left with is how many times has Stanford done that to Oregon State? And, you know, with those big tight end wide receivers that they seem to always have. And, um, yeah, I recall a game, I don't remember what year it was, back at Reeser where um, Oregon State had a huge win. I know Ryan Nall was on the team that year, um, and Stanford ended up um, stealing that victory. But um, huge, huge catch. I mean, Damian Martinez had a huge run. Silas Bolden had a big catch. So um, all in all, just a, I think that last quarter was kind of where everything kind of started to click for them. The fourth quarter in particular, and, and really the last five minutes or so, um, but everything up until that point had, had mostly gone Stanford's direction, or at least not in Oregon State's direction. Um, it was a, a game that I, I think was marked by offensive inefficiency for three quarters, a, a couple of defensive lapses, uh, but in the end, Oregon State does pull it off. They stayed the course and uh, and, and came back to win that. So we're going to recap the, that today here on this game recap episode of the Dan Podcast. Thanks for for joining us live. If you are doing so on YouTube, and uh, if you're listening on on the um, on the audio side, and you're wondering why the podcast didn't show up in your feed until Monday night, it's because I was traveling all day yesterday. Angie was getting settled down in Arizona, and uh, we did have to push it back by a day. But on today's episode, we're going to talk about those key moments down in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'll just kind of give a little insight on the experience at Stanford Stadium because it was a very unique environment, uh, as I'm sure you may have seen on TV. Uh, we'll talk about that ESPN crew real quick as well, and then we'll dive into the game, uh, do some game flow type stuff, some analysis, talk about what went well for Oregon State and what didn't, because I think about 90% of that stuff did not go Oregon State's way. Uh, hit on a couple of the injuries and revisit our keys to the game. But let's start, Angie, with the fourth quarter where Oregon State came back from a, a two-touchdown deficit. And you mentioned it. It started with Silas Bolden. But I, I think before that even, we have to go to the 29-yard run from Damian Martinez that set up the touchdown pass to Silas Bolden because that felt like the play that Oregon state needed to, to get off the schneid offensively, because to that point, the Beavers only had 10 points in the game yardage wise. They were getting outgained by Stanford significantly, but then Damian Martinez rattles off a 29 yard run. And Jonathan Smith said after the game, that was in fact the play that, that really sparked Oregon state. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those big um, explosive plays over 20 yards that Oregon state had really struggled to do anything with earlier in the game. So for him to bust off that 29 yarder set up, you know, just it, you could see the sideline almost come alive when, when that happened. And um, it, it set up, it kind of turned things around. Like you said, turned, that was the play that turned things around, led to the, the Silas Bolden. I almost said Victor Silas <laughs> Bolden touchdown and um, kind of turned the fortunes. But like I said, what an exciting, like you said, last five minutes of that game. Yeah. And, and, you know, we move up to, 
the five and a half minute mark or so. And it's Damian Martinez again, getting it done with his legs. The guy took three carries in this game and ended up as Oregon state's leading rusher. Uh, and, and mostly, you know, that was because of his 43 yard touchdown run where I will admit um, I, I missed that play. I was walking down from the press box to the field at that time with about five minutes left. Cause that's when our access becomes available um, at, at most games. And, and that wasn't the case at Stanford. So I was on the concourse when it happened and I heard a big cheer and was like, did somebody just score? And, and sure enough, it was Damian Martinez going for 43 yards there. Oregon State's only down by touchdown, misses the two-point conversion. Um, it's what at, at that point, uh, is it a six-point game at that point? I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact score at that time, but it was a one-score game. One-score game. Let's fast forward then a couple of minutes later to a big defensive play that I think will go underappreciated because Martinez's run, huge, put Oregon State in a position to come back and win that game. It will go underappreciated because it wasn't the touchdown that won it. The defensive stop that happened next is the one that will get overlooked the most, but in my opinion was as important as Martinez's touchdown, as important as Harrison's touchdown, and it was John McCartan's sack on yeah. on, uh, on Stanford's backup quarterback on a third and three to not only prevent them from running out the clock with a first down, not only to prevent them from, um, you know, not being able to go for it on fourth down and potentially get that first down, but to make them settle for three points and and keep Oregon State within striking distance, a touchdown would give them the win. That play by John McCartan, I, I think, is as big as any in that. Oh, game. absolutely, and like you said, I think it's gone underappreciated because all we're seeing is is and right, rightfully so. I mean, that Treshawn Harrison touchdown was was huge, but. Like you said, they wouldn't have even had that opportunity. Stanford was kind of running, was working to run out the clock, like third and three. I mean, for Oregon State, that's a Coletto package right there. Yeah. Um, and then to back them up and have them settle for three, that is that was the key to the game, in my opinion, to keep Oregon State in this and give them that opportunity. On a field goal attempt, that was you know by no means a gimme there. That was a forty-six yarder for Stanford, and uh, so uh, again to to McCartan's credit, you know you're pushing them to the very edge of field goal range. Uh, Stanford did convert there, of course, and and extended its lead. But um, uh, again, you know, just a, a play that that cannot be highlighted enough for how significant it was because Stanford was three yards away from winning that game. Uh, and McCartan came up with with uh, the big sack there for the Beavers. But then, of course, that set up Treshawn Harrison's 56-yard touchdown, which uh, it's awesome that we have a question about this in the chat because I, I wrote this in the show notes. We don't have a name for the play yet. It was very similar to the Minneapolis miracle. In well, that, I like the Midnight Miracle. Yeah, so this this comment comes in from, from Tannis. Do we have a name for that catch by Harrison? If we don't, may I suggest... The, the midnight miracle. And I like that because as, as I said, that play did occur pretty close to midnight. Um, I, I, you know, the, the alliteration for a play like that, yeah, it has to be alliterative. And uh, I, I do like midnight miracle. Maybe, maybe we'll tentatively roll with that for now. Um, but it was a 56 yarder. It was very reminiscent of that play uh, in, in Minneapolis You've got a receiver who makes an impressive catch down the sideline. The defenders almost freeze because they have no idea what's going on. And the receiver at that point is just thinking touchdown. And, and that's 
ultimately, of course, what Harrison did. And I just need to go on the record because I was really, really critical of Treshawn Harrison the first couple games of the season for his drops. So I need, like I said, those were still not good at the time, but he has really, really stepped up and, and we've seen huge improvements week to week. So I just wanted to go on the record there because I was a little critical, but that's, that's the beauty of football guys get better and improve. That's the, that's the goal. That's Treshawn Harrison making Angie Machado eat her words. Now on the flip side, let's take a victory lap as Hunter points out in the YouTube chat, got to give it to the Beaver Blitz team, but y'all were on Damian Martinez from the jump. He's going to be special guys. He's going to be special. We'll take our victory lap, you know, 80 plus yards and, and a touchdown to, to help Oregon state win that game. We saw Damian Martinez grow up before our eyes in, in that game. He was, he was due to break out. We have seen him so many times get tripped up just at the last second before breaking for a big run. Uh, he did have a touchdown uh, against Montana state early, earlier in the year, but this felt like the kind of performance that Angie and I were expecting from him after everything that we saw in practice uh, this off season. Yeah, so you know what con- I, congrats, congrats there on Angie on, on the, uh, yeah. On the I, said he, um, I, I did say he'd be starting by game three, so I'm not quite there yet. But um, you know what I what, what this game felt like to me, Carter, and, and you can give me your thoughts. But I was not a fan of the play calling offensively in a lot of parts of this game early. Um, I just and I thought the whole team just kind of played down. And, and I think part of that could be the Stanford Stadium. It's kind of a um, we'll talk about that. Just no yeah. energy, no crowd. But what I saw in that fourth quarter, in the middle of the fourth quarter on, was a team that kind of took it upon themselves. And that's the veteran leadership we've talked about. But I haven't seen that from an Oregon State team in a long, long time where they actually, it was kind of like, okay, coaches be damned, fans be damned. We, we're going to do this ourselves. We're going to, you know, whether that's, you know, McCartan with his sack, whether that was Martinez, whether that was Ben Goldbranson, whether that was Treshawn Harrison. They just kind of said, you know, let's go. Let's yeah, I don't know. Do it. It. I, I don't know what it was that clicked, but I did ask Ben Goldbranson after the game, um, you know, what are what are the conversations like in the huddle and on the sideline and in the locker room when you guys are down by 14 points midway through this game? Nothing is going right yeah. offensively, and you're telling your guys to to believe and to stay the course. And he said, Man, with this team, like you know, regardless of what the score says, and and this this sounds close, so so cliche because every every team will say it, but you know they'll say you know it's not over until it's over that kind of thing. It it, it is so apparent that this Oregon State team believes that and and totally buys into it because look at the Fresno State game, very similar situation. You know, the Beavs are down in that game, they claw back and then win it in the final minutes. That's exactly how this game played out as well. Um, I I think you're watching. I think you're watching a team this year that, you know, it's not, it's not always going to be pretty. And, and these games are going to to get away from them at times, but they're not going to let up. And I, I think that just goes back to the culture that Jonathan Smith has built there. And that's, and that's a testament because this team or this, this game, the past 10 years would have been a huge loss at yeah. for Oregon state. So with Fresno state, so for them to be able to, it, it's, it's kind of like Smith said that the trajectory is, you know, you want to get to the point where you're winning your games at home and then you want to be close on the road and then you need to start winning close games at home, winning close games on the road. That's that's the trajectory they've taken. Against a Stanford team, mind you, that they hadn't beaten on the farm 
Since 2006, another very long drought snapped by Jonathan Smith and the Beavers. He'll get a chance to do that again on Saturday when Oregon State hosts Washington State. Really the only streak that's left to be broken at at this point is that losing streak against Washington State. We'll preview that on Thursday on the damn podcast. But going back to Stanford, a place that Oregon State hadn't won in over 15 years give you a little insight from the perspective of somebody who was actually there Saturday night. The press box at Stanford stadium, I think will go close to the top of my list. As far as Pac-12 press boxes, granite countertops, nice touch the, the media meal, nice touch, but it is a shame that a facility that nice that you walk in and you know, the literally the gates surrounding the stadium have built in floodlights and you know, there's two concourses and, and it's, you know, the, the stadium itself is so beautifully constructed for there to be maybe 10,000 fans in attendance. And for about 30 to 40% of those wearing the opposing team's colors, man, it is a shame that a school that, that has that nice of facilities and, and really that good of teams across all sports just really has no fan support. Yeah, it's it, in, a, in an area, a metro area that yeah, has very true. so many people. You know, we're not talking Corvallis, Eugene, Pullman. We're talking the Bay Area. It, it mm-hmm. is nuts, the lack of support they get coming to their games. The announced attendance at Stanford Stadium this week was over 32,000. Yeah. 32,482 was the, uh, the official mark. Obviously, that's tickets sold and not bodies in seats. Um, from my from my estimate, I, I think there were probably ten thousand tops okay. in the stadium. You know, that's a, a fifty thousand capacity, and uh, yeah, I, I'd say about twenty percent of that was full at best. By the end of the game, it was it was you know just a, a couple of thousand. So um, yeah, it's it, you mentioned it too. You know, in in a stadium where there there are so few people, you think of that as being an advantage for the road team. You know, not having the home field advantage, not having the energy going to the home team. How much do you think that plays into Oregon State's slow start? Because there is no energy at all in the stadium. I mean, you know, you think of you think of road games as being, well, you have to create your own energy because all of the fans in the stadium are are giving it to the other team. Well, yeah. You have to create your own energy because there literally is none there. It would feel like a, you know, a, a scrimmage for Oregon State to just go sit, go, go into research, you know, and have nobody there. But that's, that, you know, that's something though good teams are able to do is manufacture their own energy. But yeah, I mean, it would be a, they, they looked like to me that they were going through the motions early in that game. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll touch a little bit more on that later on. I I've got that as a, I've got that bookmarked, you know, that, that point bookmarked for the, uh, the, uh, the quote unquote, the bad section of this podcast. Um, just the, you know, the fact that frankly, it looked like a team that didn't want to be there for a little bit, but, um, from, <laughs> okay. so Angie, I was, I was obviously there in, in Stanford from the perspective of somebody who watched this game, albeit for a half, uh, the ESPN crew. Oh, so good. Mark Jones, Robert Griffin, the third, get the call for this game. Quint Kessenick on the sideline, one of ESPN's top crews now, and, and one that has called some big games already this year, they put them in the 8 PM slot in Stanford, I, I think like 99% of the reaction that I've heard has been pretty positive. What were your takeaways on, oh, I on thought what it was, they provided? I thought they were fantastic. You know, I, I'm one that I can, you know, sometimes I just kind of tune them out just because sometimes I think announcers can be kind of annoying. But um, no, I thought they were, I mean, RG3 was 
funny, knowledgeable. Um, yeah, I, I thought that crew did a fan best crew we've I've heard Oregon had a call an Oregon State game in years. Like, Hunter in the YouTube chat says Robert Griffin was all caps fantastic he, he was. exclamation point. Funny, like I said, knowledgeable. You know, I, I they flashed him a couple times, and I know you were talking about at halftime. He like had a ball and was like kind of running yeah. routes, kind of showing things. But in the press box, he had a ball in his hand the whole time. I mean, I liked him when he played at Baylor. I thought it seemed like a really good, good person. And but just listening to his enthusiasm, he had enthusiasm for what he was doing, and um, it really came across. It, it was a really fun watch. Yeah, RG three was actually you know one of my favorite college football players to watch during his time at Baylor. Uh, as you said, just a, a good dude yeah. too, but um, to, to watch him walking around the press box at halftime in the dining room area, and he's literally like running routes in the dining room. I mean, this guy was walking through like a play action play with Mark Jones <laughs> as I was refilling my root beer. Um, and I, I think it was on the phone with you actually yeah, at the time, yeah. Angie. Um, that was that was funny to watch, and I, I think it was just kind of a testament to the fact that that guy just eat, breathes, sleeps football. Um, and, and you know, his, like you said, his commentary is, is yeah. I mean, well, somebody Hunter just it. put in that man got more moves than a military <laughs> family was one of them. He had one about um, breaking ankles. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. And, you know, honestly, I have not, I mean, I, but I'm old school. I didn't think it got much better than Keith Jackson. I mean, I think Keith mm -hmm. Jackson had those kind of one liners that were so good. Um, and like I said, RG three was actually so entertaining with his with his commentary. Yeah, I, I'm Nick, not ready Nick to say. in the YouTube you know, chat says uh, he needs to be the full time color an, uh, analysis analyst for yes. the Beavers. Uh, that would that would be pretty fun. Um, let's talk about this game though. Let's you know we've we've talked about some of the um, you know just you know we've talked about broadcast the atmosphere and everything. We talked about the good, um, you know, that last series for Oregon State, the comeback. You look at the stat sheet all in all, and it, it does look pretty even, like the score is, score would suggest, but most of that production for Oregon State came very late. Uh, let's let's take a look at, at some of the numbers from this game. So obviously final score, Oregon State 28, Stanford 27, one-point margin of victory. In the yardage category, Oregon State actually ended up outgaining Stanford by nearly 100 yards, 442 to 359. And that was a mark that Stanford led in after three quarters. So, again, just a testament to the fourth quarter success on both sides of the ball for Oregon State. Um, but diving, diving further into that specific number, the rushing yards stand out to me. Oregon yeah. State 192, give up just 90. I, I mean, the, the run yeah. defense there, I, I think, is what stands out to me, holding Stanford to 90 yards. Yeah, and, and like to hold Casey Philkins um, to 2.9 yards a carry was huge. 2.9 yards per carry, a, a long of 12. Philkins is a guy who who likes to get involved in the, the receiving game as well, and Oregon State actually bottled him up there uh, for the most part too. So I, I think the Beavers, you know, that front seven, uh, we expected to to show up a, a little bit against Stanford, who is a pass-first team. Um, but uh, again, to hold the Cardinal to under 100 yards on the ground is, you know, that's that's key. That's key because yeah. you you can't you can't let a team like that, um, you know, you, you can't let a team like that beat you on the ground too when they are known for being such a prolific passing offense. So with regard to the passing game. Stanford did edge the Beavers there, 269 passing yards to 250. 
but you look at the quarterbacks lines and, and man, Tanner McKee, you know, former five-star guy generally regarded as one of the more uh, talented quarterbacks in the Pac-12, just from a raw arm talent perspective, Ben Golbranson was right there with him in his first career start. I mean, Golbranson actually completed a, a higher percentage of his passes. They both passed for two touchdowns. Uh, neither of them had an interception in the final line, but I do believe that McKee came back onto the field for that final play uh, to throw the interception to, to Ryan Cooper. So, I, you know, I think you look at it and you say, man, a, a third-year freshman in Ben Golbranson came in for his first career start and, and was right there with Tanner McKee. Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway with Ben Golbranson was just his pocket awareness, his pocket, pocket presence. Um, a couple of his sacks that he took were not the prettiest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. kind of just got knocked into a little bit and fell over. So, um, but that's something that'll come. I mean, that was his first start. It was on the road. Um, that's that's an area I look for him to make big strides in here in the next couple weeks if he continues to to play. In the turnover category, Oregon State forces one, Stanford zero. So the Beavers kind of buck their turnover prone trend in in this game. Oregon State, of course, had the four picks at Utah for turnovers against USC probably the reason they lost both of those games and, and they come back and, and hold onto the ball, no turnovers against Stanford and, and they end up winning that game by one. But on the flip side, are you concerned that the Beavers lone takeaway came on the very last defensive play of the game against a team that was averaging three turnovers per game in Stanford? You know, they had, yeah, those were on the ground. they had thrown the ball to the other team four times. The Beavers hadn't gone they had gone a couple of weeks without forcing a turnover and it takes them until the final play to do it against Stanford. Yeah. I, I think that is the area, the one area I would say the defense really needs to maybe improve upon is the takeaway category. We, we saw early in the, in the season, several takeaways and it's kind of tailed off. Now, part of that is your opponents. I mean, when you're going against USC and Utah and then Tanner McKee, it's they're going to take care of the ball. Stanford's turnovers had come on the ground I was surprised that we didn't see any forced fumbles there, but um, yeah, I think this, I think the secondary is one that I expect more turnovers created from. And um, this week in Washington state might be one that we, we see a little bit, but um, that'll be for Thursday. We'll talk about that. Yep. Good conversation for uh, the next episode here. Uh, final category that we want to highlight Tackles for loss and sacks. This is uh this one's a little striking to me, to, to be honest with you. Oregon State, only two tackles for loss against Stanford. You look at the 90 rushing yards and you say, man, they must have been living in the backfield. Not really. And they only had the one sack. Uh, McCartan's there in the fourth quarter. Stanford on the flip side, eight tackles for loss against the Beavers with the four sacks that Angie alluded to. Uh, so I guess the first question here is, well, you know, Oregon State came into this game on a three-game sackless streak uh, offensively. You know, the, the O-line had protected Chance Nolan and Ben Goldbranson for three straight weeks, uh, one of the best marks in college football in that in that total. Um, what happened? What, was it the O-line? Was it was it Ben just kind of sitting back there? Was it, you know, that the lack of mobility with Chance Nolan not there? What did you see that led to four sacks? I think it's a combination of things. I you know, that it is, it is a combination of you, you go from a very mobile quarterback and chance Nolan that the O-line now is blocked for going on, you know, second year. And then you bring in a guy that, well, well, Ben can move a little bit. He's not as mobile as chance. So you have that, you have, as I just said, Ben's 
rookiness, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, just his pocket presence. His pocket presence wasn't uh, as good as as a quarterback that um, is going to be a pocket passer. Um, I, two of those sacks that I know of were basically just he got bumped into and fell down. So they credit him as a sack, but it wasn't like he got, you know, ran backwards and got destroyed. He had stepped up in the pocket, got bumped into, fell down. So um, those were lucky. But, yeah, I think it's kind of a combo. I think it was just I – th- I, th- I do think Ben Golbranson, though, needs to improve that pocket presence a little bit. Um, and just kind of be a little more hyper aware of what's what's going on around him. Okay, so since we're on the, the subject kind of of comparing Ben and Chance, before we move on to the next segment here when we, we take a look at the game flow, let's address this question that just came in the chat because this has been something that I've been wondering all day. Uh, Tannis asks, assuming Ben keeps growing, do we have a quarterback battle on our hands? It's interesting, and and I'll tell you why. Jonathan Smith wouldn't commit today in his Monday press conference to naming a starter for Saturday, saying that Chance hadn't practiced yet, um, wasn't sure if he'd be able to practice on Tuesday. And we know from from last week, and, and again, he doubled down this week, saying you know Chance needs close to, if not a full week of practice before he gets back into the mix. So health-wise, obviously, you know Ben has the leg up there. But let's say those two are healthy. You look at the body of work so far, what do you make of this quarterback situation? It, it's hard because what I think is going to be probably completely 180 degrees different from what Jonathan Smith, a former quarterback, thinks. I Ben Golbranson has the strongest arm on the team. We saw that. We saw his very first start on the road, and he he made some great throws. Um, Chance has a different aspect to his game. It's hard to take away those starts, but that he has away from him, but I, I don't know. I, I like what I, I, I w- okay. This is what I'm going to say. I want to see more from Ben. I'll just leave it at that. I, I want to see what he can yeah. do. I want to see him grow. I want to see him um, see what he can do. I think there's a good chance you see him again this week, to be honest with you. I, I, I just think the fact that chance Nolan hasn't practiced might not do so until the middle or end of the week tells me, we're, we're probably going to see Ben come back out here this week. Well, Jonathan and... last week said he wasn't ready. He that he wouldn't let Chance go unless he took right. significant, you know, or yeah, ex- practice ex- the majority exactly. of the week. So exactly. I don't see how that's going to change. Yeah, and you know what? I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I think what you and I have seen behind closed doors at practice with Ben Goldbranson's Ben Goldbranson's arm. He adds something to the offense that we don't necessarily see with Chance. On the flip side, Chance's legs are better than Ben's. Now, Ben has the ability to escape the pocket, get to the sideline, pick up a couple of yards. They're not going to run any designed runs for him. You know, you're not going to see him, uh, like Chance did at Utah, pick up a first down on a quarterback draw. But I do think both quarterbacks bring something unique to the offense. Chance has the leg up in that he's been the starter for a while and... Jonathan Smith's MO since coming to Oregon State has been, hey, we're going to pick a guy and we're going to stick with him. him. You know, they picked but, Jake Luton and ran with him, even though Tristan Jebbia was there in the waiting. They picked Jebbia, and, and the only reason uh, Chance Nolan supplanted him was because of an injury. And again, we, we saw this year, you know, it was a quarterback battle going through camp. Chance won it. And again, even though he struggled against USC and even though he struggled in the first quarter against Utah, the only reason he got benched was because of an injury. So I say, no matter how good Ben Goldbranson, no no matter how well he plays, no matter how well Ben plays, 
part of me just thinks that the staff is going to want to stick with Chance because that has been what they've done in the past. But see, I would argue though, this team is only going to be, this team has so much potential and they are maybe limited by what their quarterback can do. You, you know what you're going to get with Chance. I think Ben's ceiling is higher. It may not be higher right now, but I think his, his, his ceiling is way more elevated than Chance. I also, you know, you just hear too many stories about Chance not being a, a gym rat and, and in the weight room all the time or the film room and um, where you kind of hear the opposite about Ben. So, yeah, good point. Yeah, it's, um, I, I guess it's, you know, I, I think we've reached, I mean, the, a, we've reached the point now with Ben Goldbranson playing nearly two full games that I, I think we can consider this a quarterback controversy when they're both healthy. Jonathan Smith yeah. said after Utah, Oh, it's not like a you know this great big controversy or anything. Well, it might be now because Ben. Well, it was a controversy all. It was a controversy all fall camp when it yeah. sh- didn't have to be when you had a returning starter coming back, two returning starters, quite frankly, with with yeah. Jebby. I just wonder about Jebby's health. Um, you know, we saw tightness during the scrimmages this fall with his hamstring, so I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if he's not, you know, a hundred percent where he was before the injury. Um, but this was a quote unquote quarterback battle, even though we saw Chance Nolan take 95% of the first team snaps. I think the bye week coming up in two weeks will be interesting in that it gives them two weeks of practice to kind of duel it out. At that point, you would expect Chance to be at or near full strength. Again, if he doesn't go this week, you've only got one game before that bye. So maybe you stick with Ben and say, hey, Chance, get back up to full strength and we'll see how this thing plays out in practice. Maybe this is determined, you know, in in those final four or five games after the bye. It's an interesting conversation that we could really have a, a full episode of the damn yeah. podcast on. But we got to pause here before we take uh, or before we before we dive back into Oregon State at Stanford and remind you to head to beaverblitz.com for coverage of the Oregon State football team throughout the 2022 season. The Beavers are on the rise, and so are we at Beaver Blitz. Thanks to all of you for subscribing, for picking up that VIP subscription and checking out all of the great content uh, that Angie, Peter, Raju, JP, uh, and myself are providing throughout the season. We really appreciate your support, uh, and we'd love to have you join us if you haven't already done so. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So this game starts, interestingly, Oregon State wins the coin toss, elects to receive for the first time since 2019. And right <laughs> away, I say, excuse you. Yeah, um, thank you. Right, right, right away, I say, okay, this is interesting. You know, we, we haven't seen this game script before. Oregon State misses a field goal on that first drive. And I'm thinking, man, they, they wanted to establish something and they didn't. And I, I was nervous from the get-go because of it. Yeah, it was not how, A, you know, receiving right out of the gate, not how we've been accustomed to Oregon State handling things. Um, but, yeah, it was not pretty and missed the field goal. And then Stanford turns around and scores. It was, I, I you know, I, I'm not going to lie. We were sitting watching with some friends, and we are all kind of like, huh. Yeah. Uh, Stanford comes back on, on its first offensive drive and scores a touchdown. Casey Filkins finds the end zone from a yard out his lone touchdown of the day, but it started defensively. Oregon state gives up 49 yards on the first two plays. And then Stanford kind of slows down, but then eventually does get into the end zone. So 49 yards on two plays. Then Stanford goes 12 for 78 slow start offensively, missing a field goal, slow start defensively, giving up a, a touchdown drive and you leave the first quarter down seven, nothing just like that with, with, you know, one drive, um, one drive a piece. And, you know, it just felt like it was going to be one of those weird games where it's, you know, the pace is slow teams are missing field goals. You know, they're doing things There's out no of the crowd ordinary. Energy. Yeah, exactly. It, it felt, it had the feeling of a pack 12 after dark, like something weird is, is going to happen here. Um, Oregon State does respond. Jack Coletto finds the end zone. Oregon State's first touchdown, another work, uh, another one yard score. But setting that up, there were a couple of big plays that set that play up that we should highlight here. Tyjon Lindsay and Jack Velling both made, both made clutch third down plays. Um, and you know, again, you, you have a backup quarterback making his first career start. You need somebody to help him out a little bit. And on third and long, twice. Oregon State's receivers and tight ends came up with big plays. Tajon Lindsay, a couple of shifty moves to pick up 12 on a third and nine. And then Jack Velling hauls in um, an 18-yard diving catch to move the ball down to the one-yard line and, and setting up that score. Yeah, that was um, a great, like I said, Velling's catch was huge. I think that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. I expect him to be the next great tight end. Um, young. Yeah. He's young, freshman, true freshman, but I expect to see him just continue to grow in that, that role. And then, yeah, Tyjon Lindsay, another one that I've had some, you know, criticisms of has really stepped up to of late. Yeah. That was actually a 99 yard scoring drive for Oregon state because uh, as, as the, the chat is reminding us that that drive did start with kind of an interesting play where 
Uh, you've got Silas Bolden receiving the kickoff after Stanford scores, and he runs it back for a, a pretty nice return. In fact, he he nearly housed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the play was called back because Jack Coletto allegedly called for fair catch. It looked like he did. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna. It it does. It did look like he did from TV. Interesting. So I I've I've heard two things, and again I. I obviously wasn't watching Coletto live. I'm, I've got my eyes on Bolden because, you know, I, I know that he's the one who's about to receive this thing. I have heard that from one person's perspective, it looked like he was kind of waving um, Bolden out saying, hey, return it. Another saying, yeah, it looks like he kind of called fair catch, which is interesting because if he's yeah. not returning it, you know, why is he doing that? The rule is probably in place to prevent teams from from faking the, you know yes. the, the kicking yeah. team out but end of the day the returns called back they say dead ball at the one where it's caught because there was a fair catch called now normally on kickoffs you take fair catch and it comes out to the 25 but because of that whole we don't want teams yeah. faking each other out uh, that ball is placed on the one so in case that wasn't you know like i said i wasn't watching on on the tv broadcast so i don't know if that was explained but that was uh that was kind of what what the conclusion we came to in the press box there. Yeah. Yeah. That's um let's let's move ahead now. Joshua Cardi, the Stanford kicker, had a couple of long field goals and his 47 yarder on the ensuing possession gave Stanford a 10 to 7 lead. So both teams responding quickly here now as as we get moving here in the second quarter. Um but on that drive, the fourth unsportsmanlike penalty of the game called. Yeah. This is early second quarter. Yeah. And both teams have two unsportsmanlike penalties. What was kind of going through your mind on, on that end? Because that was a big storyline, actually, in this yeah, game. Yeah, it was. And you and I were texting Smith back and forth. Addressed after yeah. the game and again today on Monday. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that, you know, Oregon State and Stanford would be so chippy. But it was early. It was very chippy. Um, you and I, there was some confusion about Brandon Kipper because it yeah. appeared he'd got his second unsportsmanlike, which would have been an automatic uh, disqualification. You were able to confirm in the press box. This is where it's great having us, one of us watching on the TV, one of us, you know, in the press box, because you were able to confirm that it was actually they called the first unsportsmanlike was supposedly on was it Brewer? Yeah. So that situation was interesting because we went a full, I mean, essentially a full quarter before we we got an answer. But the first unsportsmanlike, which was really like the third in this game, was it was an offsetting penalty. Um, that they they called on number 50 on Oregon State. Well, Oregon State doesn't have a number 50 on its offensive line. Um, they correct that after the play to 68. Well, it wasn't actually on Kipper either. Um, okay. it, it turns out they were they were trying to correct it to 60, Marco Brewer, um, but misannounced it. So when uh, when Brandon Kipper got called for his second, you know, kind of like I'd put second in, in air quotes on the ensuing drive. Uh, the reason he was not ejected was because the prior one was not actually okay. given to him, even though he was announced as the offending player. Okay, so I just need to interject here because the people that were watching at home will totally get me on this. That Pac-12 referee, seriously, I think he wanted to be Mark an Duddy. open mic, wanted to be an open mic comedian <laughs> because he was on making calls way too often. He was making his voice heard. Yeah, Brian Miller says, how weird was it how often we were hearing refs? Serious, uh, Brian. 
Well, so here's here's another little insight from the press box. You might have been hearing him on TV, but we couldn't hear him in the press box because oh. unlike everywhere else, they didn't actually have a mic connected to a speaker in the box. So we okay. couldn't hear a word he was saying throughout the throughout the game, which as you can imagine, when this ref, you know, turns on his mic, you know, goes to goes to the pocket, yeah. twists the mic thing about 25 times in this game because or more as 25 times as in the first seen. quarter. Um yeah, I couldn't I couldn't hear a thing. So that that added to the confusion, particularly <laughs> on those on sportsman like calls where I'm like, what number did he just say? Um, yeah, that was yeah. not ideal. And and a crew that I hope that we do not see at an Oregon State game for quite some time. Just flag. He was right me. up there with glasses ref. Remember glasses ref? Yeah, Jay Strickers. Yes. Jay Strickers. Jay Strickers. Uh, all right, moving back to the game flow. A couple of three and outs after that. Things started to slow down, but then Bryson Tremaine for Stanford makes an unbelievable catch, which I, I guess was kind of a trend in this game was, you know, the impressive play from the receivers. Bryson Tremaine hauls in 20 yard touchdown catch. Great ball from uh, Tanner McKee again, again on that. So Stanford builds a double digit lead at 17 to seven, very late in the half. Oregon state goes three and out halftime. It's a 17, seven game. And we're saying, wow, what on earth is going on? Cause we expected Oregon state to maybe not necessarily roll, but I think we expected Oregon State to kind of control this thing. Um, I, I know the first half line was Oregon State minus four. Certainly not the case. Um, and then, you know, of course, since they received the opening kickoff, you think, all right, this team's coming back coming back out and has to play defense down 10 in the third quarter. Yeah, no, it was, it was yeah, it was not, like I said, I think I, that's when I fell asleep the first time <laughs> <laughs> from being up since 3.30 in the morning. We appreciate the honesty there. Yes, I'm going to be completely brutally honest, guys. Um, the defense for Oregon State did bounce back in the second half, and it started on that first drive. You know the Beavers need to stop because you can't afford to go down 17 points in the second half. The Beavers get a stop, force Stanford to go three and out, and then they they pick up a few points on the other end. Atticus Sappington missed a 40-yard field goal early on in the game on the opening drive, but then bounced back, hit a 40-yarder on that drive, but, but, that was only because of a couple of penalties. So shout out again to Mark Duddy and crew. <laughs> a touchdown for Oregon State gets called back for holding. Sappington comes on, misses a 45-yarder, but gets wiped away for an offsides, and then he converts the 40. So yeah. just one of those things where you're like, man, can we just let these guys play? Like, you yeah. know, the, the, That's, the, and that hold, the, the holding problem. call on the touchdown was was on a receiver, kind of away from the play, the, the offsides. All right, fair enough. But man, just what a what a sequence there. I mean, that's and it just that's the the whole game, the whole early part of the game just felt disjointed. I think, in in large part because of the, the penalties being called. But you know, here it is, third quarter, and now the Bees are only down by seven. Yeah. Um, and then the defense forced a three and out. But then Oregon State goes three and out. So you have a couple yeah. of three and outs there, and Stanford gets another touchdown from Bryson Tremaine. This one a thirty-seven yarder. So he's got two touchdowns to his name yeah. at this point, leading scorer in the game. Stanford has a 24 to 10 lead through three quarters. Yeah. It's its biggest lead there at 24 to 10, 14 points. Um, but then the fourth quarter happens. And again, we, yeah. we open the show with this, yeah. you know, just one of the best quarters of football I've seen from Oregon state in, in quite some time, a, a gritty performance, Silas Bolden's 21 yard touchdown, uh, 20, 21 yard touchdown reception to open the fourth quarter. Probably the best play we've yeah. seen from him. You know, he's had a couple of touchdowns on fly sweeps. He's shown off his speed. 
But to make a catch like that where you're toe tapping in the end zone, where you're catching the ball with a guy right in your face, that's the Silas Bolden you and I saw in spring and fall camp, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, uh, there's uh, a uh, lot. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm reading the, the comments. There's a lot of good comments. We got to hustle through the, uh, the rundown here so we can get to some comments. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll touch on those at the end here. We're again kind of a, a jam packed show with a, a game that really I think had a lot to to dive into. But uh, a, a couple of a couple of defensive, you know, a couple of solid defensive possessions here midway through the fourth quarter until things got really crazy. Damian Martinez rattles off the forty three yard touchdown run. Oregon State chooses doesn't have to, but chooses to go for two because long snapper Dylan Black was pulled from the game uh, with an injury. They missed the two-point conversion, so they're down two at 24-22 with five and a, a five and three quarters-ish of a minute left. I, I think, yeah, about 5.45 on the clock at that point, down two points. Uh, again, your defense comes on the field, and, and you have to get a stop, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what John McCartan did. John McCartan with the sack. I was down on the field at that point. And th- that play happened right in front of me. And I said, all right, well, this is the game right here. John McCartan, the biggest play of his career, potentially. He's he's had a couple. He had a couple yeah. early on. Um, that, that interception he had against Cal in the COVID year was pretty big, too. Yeah. Um, and then, so, Angie, be honest with me here. Were you asleep on that, on that next play when Treshawn Harrison goes 56 yards? Can I plead the fifth? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, one of us was awake. So yes, I actually did have to, I did have to watch that later. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you what I saw. So I was standing uh, on the opposite end of the field. I I was on Oregon state side. So I was kind of next to the bench, but I was on the opposite side of the field. And so Harrison's, you know, they're moving the ball away from me. Ben Goldbranson made a couple of nice throws to to get the ball moving there. They have no timeouts. Um, So, you know, this is, this is like, it's not necessarily offense's worst nightmare, but you're not in a good situation. And and this is where you say, man, you've got a, a redshirt freshman quarterback making his first start. You're really going to make him run a two minute drill? Well, call it 45 seconds. Call it a yeah. 45 second yeah, drill. I mean, it was... He he completes a couple of passes, puts the ball where only Harrison can get it. Not not the greatest throw, but again, to his credit, defender wasn't going to make a play on that ball. Um, Harrison makes one of the best catches of of the college football season, probably yeah, to, I mean, it to was go amazing. and go and grab that against. Like the you said, it, it's one of those things too. Stanford was kind of left stunned because I don't think they thought it, he caught it. Yeah, I know, Aiden. I know. Seriously, you guys. I like I said, I had got up at three thirty in the morning to catch a flight. I was exhausted, and that first half of that game was so bad, and I totally fell asleep. I just the, the YouTube chat is just absolutely berating Angie right now. And hey, I mean it yeah. was it was a long travel day. I'm I'm you know on the the recovering side of a long travel day myself. So I I get it. I get it. Very but exciting. Play I will to say watch. that my 14 year old son and Eric and some of our best friends that we were staying with in Tucson, they were up and they watched it. And he's a beaver, you know, one of my husband's fraternity brothers, and they watched it. And yes. Tana says the 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 uh, the self named midnight yes, miracle, midnight miracle. Will, be a, will be a quote unquote where were where you were when you? blank moment. Uh, Angie yeah, was I, asleep in Tucson. Angie was asleep in Tucson. <laughs> I was I was on the Oregon State bench. Carter's texting and... me the next morning. I have like I seriously have like twenty texts. Carter asking me to update the live updates. My brother, who's a huge Beaver fan, is like texting me like nonstop. Peter, Raju, everybody's texting me. 
and I was yeah. asleep in Tucson. Yes, I'm old though, Carter. You're young. <laughs> young, maybe, but and not as not as resilient as uh, as I would hope on on the lack of sleep here. But uh, it kind of put the finishing touches on on how this game finished. So Oregon State, interestingly, and and, and this was a a point of discussion in in Jonathan Smith's Monday press conference. They decide to kneel on the two point conversion. So they say, all right, we're not, we're not going to risk it. There's essentially one play, you know, maybe two, you know, slash hail Mary field goal on the ensuing possession. Uh, But in in that situation, there's one play that can beat you and it's Stanford returning that thing for two points the other way. Very conservative play call that Jonathan Smith today, Monday said, you know what? That's, that's my call. I don't like it. He said just flat out. Yeah didn't like the call I made there. It was way too Which conservative. Which is so interesting because he is usually so gutsy right. Yeah. for him to, I mean, that was, my brother was like, I think ready to have a coronary on that one. But the text <laughs> string there, if you read my text string, it was like the funniest thing. It was maybe some expletives thrown in there. And yeah, it was. So uh, a little insight there because we did, you know, we are recording this show after Smith's Monday press conference, which we don't normally do. So some insight on the two-point conversions. Dylan Black left this game, the the long snapper, with an injury, uh, cut his hand, and and so Oregon State elects to go for two. Again, Smith's call. Um, They did have a second long snapper that made the trip. Peyton Hogan made the trip and and actually played a little bit. He he snapped on, on one of the punts. Smith elected, hey, he said, we've already missed a field goal. We've got our second string kicker, our second string long snapper. We're just going to go for two the rest of the way here. In hindsight, Smith regrets those decisions. He he would have rather have just kicked them. Um, or at, at least, you know, on that last one, would have rather gone for it than kneeling. Um, yeah. I, I understand. It, you know, I, I understand. Yeah. Something happens. Stanford returns that game or Stanford returns the thing and, and you lose the game because of it stinks but the odds of that happening are so much lower than you getting what two three yards and 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 making it a three-point game especially when you have the hammer exactly Jackhammer. which wow. who they who they didn't use on any of the two-point conversions very interesting the game ends on uh it, you know that oregon state kicks it off stanford gets the ball game ends as ryan cooper jr uh comes down with an interception and, and oregon state kneels the thing and and wins it by one remarkable just remarkable ending to that game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that last five minutes, five minutes, 50 seconds or whatever, unreal. Like no. probably one of the best quarters of football I've seen from Oregon State, maybe since the Fiesta Bowl. It's yeah. a, a good transition here into you know, one of the, the next segments here on the damn podcast. We're going to go over an hour today, I think, but um, let's just highlight uh, again, highlight some of the good and, and most of it does come from the fourth quarter, but there's some other stuff here throughout the game that we've kind of touched on that I want to highlight. So the fourth quarter sequence, you know, the three touchdowns, yeah. the sack obviously is the highlight of the game, but the rushing success, I, I want to talk about this because that was, it wasn't one of our keys to the game, but it was a point where we said, you know what, Oregon state should have success here. Stanford looks really porous on that front seven haven't been able to slow offenses down at all this year. And the Beavers, for the most part, did. You know, they, they were held under 200, um, which was, you know, you know, kind of one of those magic numbers. You say, well, this could be a spot for Oregon State to, to crack 200. Just under that at uh, at 192. Yeah. Um, 
but but three guys having success. You know, Damian Martinez goes three for 83 and a touchdown. Jam Griffin, again, very efficient, averaging 5.8 yards per carry, 13 carries for 75 yards, and then Sean Fenwick at 14 for 54. So the reason I bring this up now, and I want to talk about this again, we, this has been something we've talked about the last couple of weeks, has, yeah. has been the carry distribution. And I know how you feel about this, so I'll, I'll let you, uh, you know, I'll give you a chance here to, to, you know, to stand in front of the lectern and, and tell us a little bit how you think the, the running game should look for Oregon State moving forward. Well, we've talked about it week in, week out about this whole three, three running back system and not letting guys kind of get into a rhythm. I think it's becoming more and more clear. Now, Oregon State keeps going with Fenwick as number one. Nothing, no, nothing against Deshaun Fenwick. But I think it's becoming more and more clear that I would go, my starter would be Jam Griffin at one and then Damian Martinez too. And, and bring in Deshaun if you need a third down back. Because I am just looking at straightaway efficiency. And Jam Jam Griffin is getting it done. Yeah. Flat out getting it done. Um, I, I think we're starting to see some glimmers from Damian Martinez. Maybe not as quickly as I thought we would see that. Um, but I still think he's a better second option than Deshaun Fenwick. And I still, I don't like the, the rotation. Let one of the guys be more of a, a focal back. Just my my two cents. Like I said, I sound like I. Um, if you if you watch the was it Thursday night game, and Richard Sherman was on after that game, the the um, Denver was it Denver? I don't even know. Denver oh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis, and he's like run the ball, <laughs> but I just want to see him with one one or two. You know, give one of them instead of distributing it like they do. Yeah, and you got to remember this thing is going to get even murkier when Trey Lowe eventually does come back. Could be as soon as this week. I, you know, I wouldn't bank on it, but um, it does sound like he's getting closer and closer to a return. Adding a fourth running back into that mix, and and man, I can't tell you who the odd man out is right now because production-wise, it would tell you that it's Fenwick, but he has yeah. been Oregon State's leading carrier volume-wise. And again, this week was. He was, again, you know, the least efficient. You look at the yards per carry number at, at 3.9, and and yet he he has He's one more carry the, than yeah. Fenwick, or one more carry than Griffin and, and 11 more than Martinez. So I'm interested to see if if anything changes there in the near future. I, I know how you feel about it, and I'm frankly kind of kind of on board with, uh, with the way you see it. Defensively, again, want to highlight Oregon yeah. State holding Stanford to 90 yards and a touchdown on the ground pretty impressive performance there and uh, or Oregon state's ability to hold on to the ball this week, of, of course, in a one point game. Um, it's a difference, you know, turnovers, yeah. turnovers are the difference they have been for Oregon state this year, the bad, the not so good for Oregon state uh, penalties, nine for 90, three unsportsmanlike calls. A testament, I think to where Oregon state's morale was at entering this game. We have heard so many times, you know, the leadership, the the player-led movement on this team, everybody's bought in, didn't look like it in the first half. Yeah. Felt like a team that that was giving off, quote-unquote, don't-want-to-be-here vibes, you know, the three unsportsmanlike calls, the discipline across the board, lack of energy, really weird, really weird to yeah. see. It, it didn't look like the team that we'd seen. No. Um, offensive play calling, anything stand out to you? Because I'll, I'll um, tell you one that does to me. Go for it. Deep ball on second and ten from your own thirty-five. I'm. That's a that's a running play. That's a running, that's play, a running or play or a or a screen or a or a short call. But that's that's again where offensive coordinator and I again 
this is where you start second guessing the offensive play calling sometimes and, and abandoning of the run. I mean, this is a Stanford team that was giving up 225 plus yards a game. Oregon state was actually doing pretty well. And then, yeah, you, you do a play like that when you have a team that's been throwing interceptions head scratcher to me. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there have been a, a couple of calls every week. And I mean, there usually are with most teams, yeah. you know, yeah. you can sit yeah. here and play Monday morning quarterback and, you know, Sunday afternoon offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, there's always going to be calls that, you know, you look back on and you want back Jonathan Smith, of course, wanting those two point conversions back. Um, but I, I just think it's, it's been a concerning trend for Oregon state that has built this reputation as being an offensive, or, you know, being led by offensive masterminds and, and putting up all sorts of crazy offensive numbers the last four and a half years just not really seeing that this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think, again, kind of reared its head in this game. Um, pass defense, so a weakness, this is something a weakness this week. No, no. But do you think that part of that was maybe the game plan to not to maybe stay home a little bit and not with, with that slow mesh offense, not commit guys? Yeah. I don't know. It's just something I thought I, about because yeah, you don't want to bring I, the house against Tanner McKee. I, I can might, see that. I can see that. I, I think that's probably why you you don't see the giant tackle for loss and, and sack I think, numbers. I think if if we don't see better um, sack numbers and tackles for loss this next week against Washington State, then I think we have something more to talk about. I'll tell you this, though. I mean, seeing Bryson Tremaine go six catches, 82 yards, and two touchdowns, I don't think that's on conservative play. I, I, I just think there were a couple of breakdowns in, in the yeah. defensive backfield. And, and credit to him. I mean, he made a couple of very nice catches. There was coverage on those plays, but... It, it just feels weird, you know, for us to be talking about, hey, you know, Oregon State gave up a couple of big passing plays. That's that's yeah. not really been a thing this year. Um, we already touched on the tackles for loss and sacks on the other side, so we don't need we don't need to go in depth with that again. Uh, the injury tracker. Yeah, we've had a lot of people asking so, that about that in comments. Yeah, so didn't open the show with this just because this is more of a game wrap or a, a game recap episode and and wrapping up Stanford. But the big news today from the injury side of things is, is that Alton Julian will miss the entirety of the 2022 season. Uh, Beaver blitz has confirmed that after Alton went on Twitter and, and tweeted, you know, kind of cryptically 2023 dot, dot, dot. Um, we have, we have dug into that and, and we have learned that he will miss the entire 2022 season, which, you know, again, Jonathan Smith kind of said this earlier in the year, he basically went as far as saying, you know what, we don't really need him right now. Yeah. Like the safety room and, and the defensive backfield as a whole is just so strong that why, why take a risk? You know, let's just, let's let Alton Julian heal up. So best wishes, are, best is best one. wishes to, to Alton yes. Julian on his, on his ACL recovery. Absolutely. And that's, that's always a tough one, but this, if there's, there's a year to miss, it's this one and then come yeah. back at a hundred percent next year and be ready to go. Um, so Dylan, uh, Dylan Black, do we have do we have an update on him yet? Um, hopeful, but not certain okay. that he will return this week. Again, he he cut his hand up in that Stanford game and, and left partway through. Which I mean, okay. long long snapper injuries are always just so weird because like every team has more than one long snapper, but you rarely see them. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, so it's it'll be interesting to see what Oregon State does there at, at that position this week. Yeah. So Trey Lowe, I know is is getting close. Yeah. Luke Musgrave is unavailable. You know, this is this is just me. Just me and me and Carter speculating. I don't think we see Luke Musgrave the rest of the year. And yeah, I would be. I, okay, I, I, I don't know if we ever see him at. at I was going to say I don't. Time. I don't think we see him ever again in the Beaver uniform. 
Yeah, I, I just think somebody will take a shot on him NFL wise, and you know he's recovering from an injury that that clearly is more serious than we we thought in in the you know the immediate aftermath of that Fresno State game. Chance Nolan, uh, as we said earlier, still recovering from the neck injury, hasn't practiced, may or may not return to practice by the middle of the week. We'll see. Um, so you know, don't don't bank on seeing him this weekend. I, I would say it's more likely than not that Bengal Branson gets the star just based off of what we know at this point. But again, nothing certain there. Joe and again, Golden and, 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 oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I just, I'm just putting this out there. This is just Carter and I speculating. We don't have any inside info here, but um, from what I have been hearing, like I said, I would be surprised. On, on, on Chance. Sorry. Oh, on, on no, sorry, on, on Musgrave. On Musgrave. And, yeah. well, actually, Chance this year too, or this, this game too. I yeah. think, I think we're still a week out. So Musgrave, um, career-wise and or you know season-wise and then uh, nolan week-to-week wise we're, yeah. we're saying probably probably won't see him uh joe golden on the defensive line everett hayes the kicker both nearing a return they're probably going to be like you know that that day-to-day game time decision type thing i i will say oregon state is very limited on personnel as far as who can travel you know they they, they have a limit as far as how many guys they can take down to stanford and everett hayes was there he was in street clothes, which tells me that was like a, okay, emergency, yeah. you know, Sappington goes down, like Hayes is, is, is close enough to play. Groin because injuries Chance are Nolan tough. Did not. No, no, he stayed back in Corvallis. Groin injuries are tough, especially if you're a kicker. Um, but to see him down there at Stanford, I guess, just tells you that, you know, he's at least somewhat close to coming back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then of course, the the Julian news there to, to round out the injury report that, that we just touched on. Uh, before we get out of here, our, our last our last little segment as we cross the, the one-hour mark. Keys to the game. Uh, we both agreed offensively. Hold on to the ball. Yeah, resounding totally yes, no yep. turnovers. Absolutely. First time since the Montana State game, Oregon State goes turnoverless on the offensive side. So now tell me this. Going against a Washington State team, and you know this is yeah. more of a Thursday conversation, but... Uh, going against a Washington State team that has turned Oregon State over in the past is led by a defensive coach and Jake Dickert. Uh, maybe maybe a little preview to your key to the game this week is is that you know gonna is that gonna rear its head again? You know is is that yeah. gonna be your key to the game offensively again? Because because look at it. I mean it's been the difference in the last it's been three games. The, exactly. I mean that has been the. I mean Oregon State beats USC if they don't have four turnovers, yeah. and it's a hell of a lot closer. And possibly a win at Utah if they don't if they have half the turnovers and a so, loss against Stanford if they turn it over even the, once exactly exactly so it's absolutely going to be my key to the game defensively I said Oregon State needed to flex its defensive backfield muscles as we just kind of you know highlighted yeah. in the in the not so good portion um, didn't really happen you know yeah Stanford Stanford kind of got what it wanted in the passing game which. To an extent, we expected, again, Tanner McKee, great quarterback, very solid receiving core. I think underappreciated given how poorly this team has played in other areas this yeah. year. Um, that, that's a good passing attack and, and yeah, probably low-key one of the better ones Oregon State will see this year. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm as yeah. you said, I'm not reading too much into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, not yet. Let's let's give it another week or two. Yeah. Um, with no EJ Smith at running back for Stanford, we said make Casey Filkins beat you. He had the he touchdown, didn't. but by and large, he did not beat them. No, so, no. Um, I guess kind of a, a, a 50-50 there on on the success on that key to the game. Didn't you, you had another defensive key, didn't you? I don't remember, Carter. Okay. Carter. Yeah, I, I don't. This is, 
this is why we should write these things down, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I yeah. will say that I feel that this game is a huge, huge momentum, um, not only for the fan base, but for the team, because this game had that feeling that if the Beavers lost, it, things could have spiraled out of control pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and now with Absolutely. a win four and two, um, you have a winnable game against Washington state at home. You have a winnable game against uh, Colorado at home. You have two home games coming up and could be bowl eligible here by the end of October, which would be huge. I'm just kind of reading through the YouTube chat to see if there's anything we should touch on before we get out of here. Um, again, appreciate everyone for watching us live on YouTube. Uh, even, even though we're on kind of a different schedule this week, Angie, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Cause this is, it's been kind of a compre comprehensive show. It's it's a yeah, little weird that no. we're doing this on a Monday because we do have some newsy type stuff to, yeah. to talk about since we've talked to Jonathan today. But yeah. um, did, so Aiden Hill, did I did I maybe was my other defensive key QB pressure? I don't remember. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. Well, Oregon State didn't really do that. No, so. they didn't do that either. But yeah, I guess that's that answers that question there. Carter, you're supposed to write down what I say. Uh, I know, I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many different things going on if you could see my screen when we record these things i've got like all different tabs pulled up i really should just get my second monitor out for these things because yes so brian miller says and ben needs to take a breath and not freak out if there's a single defender in his pocket um seriously brian i know you came in late but ben two of those sacks actually were like someone just kind of bumping into ben his his yeah. pocket awareness was not great that's just i i think a you know a, a youth type situation yeah. I, I think that's an area where ben goldbranson improves in the future again I, I think you probably see him this week just just my hunch just my hunch um oregon state will play washington state on stanford pac-12 network thoughts <laughs> <laughs> and colorado's pac-12 network yeah, yeah yeah back back to the pac-12 network hey I'll, I'll take it if it means that we're not I, I want working back. until four in the morning but i want rg3 back yeah. But that would be an eight o'clock kick and Carter, that would be too late for Carter. Yep. This and is obviously a... too late for me. Yes. <laughs> Clearly. This is a 6 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. On Saturday. We're going to be back on Thursday to preview it. We thank you again for joining us live on YouTube. Anywhere you find your podcasts, we are there as well. I'm going to get some sleep here in, in just a short couple of hours. Angie's got some fun stuff to do down in Arizona while she's on you know, kind of a quasi vacation here, even though it's, you know, it's game week. She's still working behind the scenes. We're doing college um, visits. Carter, that's another whole topic. How my kid does not want to go to Oregon State. Where well, did I lead him astray? One of them. One of them, at least. Yes. Yes. My oldest one. Exactly. OSU. And he doesn't want to go. He wants to go to Arizona. I spent yesterday touring University of Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Fun stuff. Tucson. Yeah. Tucson. Right. Let's get out of here. Angie, thanks for, for hopping on here on a Monday night. Thanks to everyone again for, for watching and listening. We're going to be back on Thursday to preview Oregon State's game against Washington State. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one You can follow me at Carter Baines. We'll talk to you Thursday for another episode of the Dan Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, 
or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 